Well, good morning. I thought I'd just do a little quick one. Uh, I haven't been really uh, reviewing my books on a daily basis, uh, but this last one definitely deserves a review. Uh, so it's the second time, it's the third time I've, I've read it, not the complete book, obviously. Um, went through it again because I just thought it was so awesome. I don't want to return it. It's one of the books that I have through Libby, um, found through Libby. So I can't thank them enough for that. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It's called um, How to Save the West by Spencer Clavin. Uh, what really attracted me is he was using classics, right? Uh, the Greeks uh, and the Bible, uh, literature, uh, poetry, uh, whatever it takes uh, to make this case. And so what I loved is how he ended, actually. And, and it's funny, too, because it really puts into place the differences in, in uh, Bible translations, but also shows how you can read the Bible and get uh, out of it so much more, right? So let me just go over uh, Spencer Clavin's book. Highly recommend it. He says he's going over five crises of the modern era, right? Uh, my uh, modern malaise. Uh, crisis of reality. Well, that's pretty obvious, right? Relativism or just plain and simple truth. Crisis of religion. Very important. Uh, we have uh, many turning their back on traditional religion, uh, but embracing, uh, you know, essentially uh, modern religion, idolatry, paganism, whatever you'd want to call it. Crisis of the body. Uh, this is transhumanism and trans identity. Right? Identity, I stole that from uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, another book that was published in 2023 uh, by Desmitz. Uh, in it, he says identity uh, is the story that someone else uh, tells that you believe as opposed to myth, which is a story that you tell that you believe. And we'll get to that crisis of meaning. I've talked about this until I'm blue in the face mentioned crisis of religion, crisis of regime, right? Full of systems uh, of meaning of, of uh, whether we're going to evolve or collapse uh, community agency, meaning, Love, truth, beauty, morality, uh, koinonia, community. He mentions koinonia at the very end of the book. I've been harping on koinonia for ages. This idea of a community like the Sangha or uh, even uh, uh, Upeka, Upeksha, this equanimity taught in Buddhism. And I love it too because uh, Swamiji, uh, Swami Sarva Priyananda, uh, he's a Vedantin scholar at, uh, in New York, and he just recently uh, told a joke that uh, one of his gurus, when asked, uh, well, what is Vedanta? And, and he said, well, essentially Vedanta is Buddhism with God. And I love that. Don't misunderstand uh, God by any definition. It could be panentheism as what I uh, tend to suffer from. But why I love it is crisis. Right. Uh, I was just talking about catharsis, uh, Dionysus and the Bacchanalian rites, how it's, uh, you know, uh, myth and ritual at once allows us to, you know, uh, expel our demons. 
but I highly recommend, could not recommend this book anymore. I, I really didn't see any issues with any of the, the ideas you came across, right? We have to be careful of tribalism because it can just as easily be negative as much as community. And so I'm just going to end it by reading two quotes from uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. And in it, he's talking about how to be a good uh, person, how to be a good human being. As I've said, uh, the imitation of Christ can be read without Christ, without God uh, in the book, and it still teaches the exact same. It doesn't change the teachings, right? It's about managing your issues. In fact, uh, one of my favorite Kabbalist um, uh, teachers, uh, uh, Simon Jacobson, a rabbi, uh, he just gave a, a talk recently about this, that uh, the, the problem with identity uh, lies within first, right? Uh, you have to establish who and what you are and your meaning, and your values, your path. As I've said, your religio, your religion, the path you follow with commitment and confidence, uh, compassion, uh, and, and commitment to devotion, I guess. But they're both the same thing, aren't they? But uh, Clavin, he's an, an Oxford-trained uh, classicist. Uh, he ends with this quote from Philippians 4, chapter 4, uh, verse 8. I'll read the, what I actually read. I think this is called the Good News Translation, the New Testament. It's just this little book that I picked up at the Goodwill for two bucks. Um, it's a nice big print, very easy to highlight. Um, and, and I'll show you, he, he actually was reading from, I guess, uh, probably uh, the new King James. I have a King James. I have a new international version. Uh, I have a couple different versions of the, of the Bible. And so in the, new, in the Good News translation of the New Testament, this is Philippians 4. This is Paul to the citizens of Philippi. In conclusion, my friends, Fill your minds with those things that are good, that deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. Put into practice what you have learned and received from me, both from my words and from my actions, and the God who gives us peace will be with you. So there's a couple things in there. Mind, right? Fill your mind with these things. Again, it's very similar to that quote that I love to repeat from Secondhand Lions, this idea that not all things that we should believe in uh, necessarily have to be true. Right? But also the idea is fill your minds. Right? So not all or is can be embodied. Right? Manifest in mind alone. I've talked about this, that to manifest positivity, to manifest the right can actually bring you the benefit that we're looking for. And so in the New King James 4.8 Philippians, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things things. And later 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith 
to be content. Eh, but let me read it to you from the Good News translation. And I am not saying this because I feel neglected for... I have learned to be satisfied with what I have. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have more than enough. I have learned this secret so that anywhere at any time I am content. Whether I am full or hungry, whether I have too much or too little. That's Nietzsche's eternal return, his amorphati or fetus, fetus, his pistis, this idea of faith being happy with what you have, not wanting what you don't have. Right? Within it, we see both the lessons of right what uh, I've said for a long time, that Nietzsche was not criticizing um, the teachings of Christ, but the Christians who purport to be followers of this teaching of, you know, doing what is good, what is right, what is just, right? Uh, in, in, the, in the pursuit of goodness, truth, and beauty, which is how Clavin ended his book, right? Good, good, goodness, truth, and beauty. Is that not what we're all after in the end? So I really can't uh, recommend this book uh, more highly. Again, I've mentioned he talks about almost everything that I talk about, uh, Quinonia, meaning, um, and essentially we cannot have uh, an individual. We, you cannot be uh, truly a self without being educated. I talked about this in a previous podcast. The educated imagination is the educated individual. Until you learn what you value, until you learn what is of value, until you find your meaning, until you understand what has meaning, what has value, until you learn to create and be a creative, thus being an agent in change or evolution or just as Spencer Clavin said, the way forward is by living. That was literally his quote. He feels how we save the West is by embodying these these ideals, these truths. And I mean, that he's stolen from Philippians as well, because later in Philippians, that's exactly what uh, Paul says. He says it's uh, in embodying these truths by uh, being an example is how we, uh, we go forward. I've talked about this till I'm blue in the face. But this, this weird affect of, of human nature that in a group of, say, 100 people, it, it only takes a few to encourage uh, the, the, uh, the mass to be good. But it takes more than a few bad apples in the mass to convince the majority. I mean, that's a beautiful truth. Simply that alone could be your argument for meta-meaning, meta-moralism. Right? If there's something within us that understands the inherent justness of compassion and kindness and contrition. But I digress. I just wanted to review the book. I thought it was fabulous. I couldn't recommend it more highly. 
Um, I also recommend, uh, in the same vein, I've been reading Neil Postman and his books about how technology is shaping us. Uh, very, very apropos considering uh, how we've put our faith in technology, not unlike uh, the way uh, Carl Jung said that the archaic man used to put his faith in in gods to explain his world around us and the reverse has happened. So many of us put our faith in technology because we're unwilling to put the effort into attempting to understand the nature of our modern universe and our modern malaise. So, but that I'm still going to have to work on. Um, there's still a couple more books uh, that I'd like to read by uh, Neil Postman. First, I definitely recommend his book on, uh, there's two books on, uh, well, well, we'll leave that for another podcast because off the top of my head, I can only remember one of them, uh, Technopoly. Excellent book. There's another book about um, how technology is shaping our future. Uh, there's another one about how uh, you know childhood is, is possibly a, a construct that might be going away. And the last book is just how to watch the news. And uh, it, I think it's pretty much uh, covered in technopoly. So on that, I'll leave you. I'll tell you, I uh, highly recommend uh, reading or listening to uh, Spencer Clavin's uh, book. Uh, I think if you're a little better reader than I, I would recommend maybe reading it. Uh, the audio book is probably difficult for most. Uh, it's pretty... Uh, pretty heavy lifting. There's a lot of uh, techno garble uh, jargon. And, uh, you know, some expectation of your understanding of some philosophy, some classics. But, um, but I still recommend the audiobook. What I'd recommend when it's something that's uh, this, this uh, toothy would be to maybe listen to the audiobook and read through the, the physical book. Right. Don't forget, as someone said, I can't remember who said, uh, try to spend a year at something. Devote yourself to a year. And I've done it. I couldn't believe it. I was just thinking about it in the last couple of weeks. Like, what What could I devote my... I have actually just finished doing it. I'm in the last uh, week or two of a year of devoted audiobook listening. I have spent, uh, as of September 9th, I have spent the last year listening to audiobooks each and every day. Now, I haven't read a book every day, but that being said, just a couple of days ago, I read three, arguably maybe even four, if you consider uh, Aldous Huxley's uh, Doors of Perception, and just a short little book that I've also read multiple times before. I don't know if that counts, but some days I only read one. Like, for example, I'm going to reread for the third time The, uh, the Master and His Emissary by, by McGilchrist. I just actually asked uh, Libby to postpone it another week because I have quite a few others that I need to read here. I got about 11 more to finish in my uh, Libby, uh, what do you call it? Q. But what's cool is that should only take me about two weeks to go through those 11 books, possibly less. But most of these books are eight, nine hours. Some of them are quite a bit longer. McGilchrist is a great example because he's a 26-hour book. Um, but every moment of that is worth it. Well, you know what I mean. It's well worth 
some books that they stretch out to, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours. I'm like, come on, you, you could have knocked off 100, 200 pages of this book very easily. But uh, honestly, McGilchrist and uh, this one I'm reviewing today uh, are two books that uh, I would have been ha- more than happy uh, if they had added another 10 hours to. But, so on that, uh, I just can't uh, recommend audiobooks uh, more. I've been thinking, I don't know how this would go over, but I've been thinking that, you know, possibly a, a review of all the different audiobook platforms, maybe even some of my, you know, tips and tricks, maybe, uh, because I've noticed I, I don't ever listen to a book slower than 1.2 times speed. I've explained that I believe most books are actually recorded at 1.2 times speed and then they slow them down. So technically what we'd consider one time speed is really one. Uh, it's, it's really like less than one time speed. Right. But over the last year, this is probably the idea of uh, spend a year doing something and, and see where it gets you. Um, I, I very, very infrequently do. I listen to a book at less than two or less than 1.75 times speed. Um, and, and it's the speed that I find most comfortable, right? I've mentioned this before. Like, I'm not racing through the books. What I'm looking to do is initially a year ago, I started uh, listening to audiobooks every day to replace um, uh, pain medication. And in the last year, I've also changed a lot of diet and lifestyle, which has allowed me to be much less uh, uh, tormented by chronic pain and, and other issues. So it's really allowed me to uh, enjoy reading a number of these books. And, and again, I, I do not want to read anything that I'm not going to take anything away from. So I'm not going to listen to a book faster than what I can. Uh, I can grok all of the information I possibly can from. So that's why I say uh, just by accident, I tend to listen to books at two times speed. But if they're a fast talker, I'll slow it down. Uh, 1.5, 1.6. Uh, there was even one book recently. I can't remember which one it was. I actually listened to it at 1.3, right? Because he was talking super fast and uh, some really interesting information. I think it was uh, the Thinking Clearly. It's a popular book that came out not too long ago. Uh, not really worth it. Uh, most of it. This is another book that I mean could have been condensed. This is actually a book. I think it was uh, four or five, six hours long. Uh, an audiobook, but you very easily could have made it an hour long, right? So this is one of these books that you could have turned into a summary and uh, you actually would have probably learned more because if I wasn't familiar with most of the logic and reason and, you know, logic, logical fallacies and all these different ideas and, you know, how people make mistakes when it comes to logic and reason, uh, I, I'm sure I probably would have tuned out and just, you know, would have been a did not finish DNF the book, uh, but it's still worth reading. Still worth reading, especially if you're not familiar with. Uh, I lucked out. I came across a couple of uh, really good professors who taught uh, logic and and failures of logic, right? Uh, and they're not they're not books, which is is I guess that's kind of tragic. Um, those courses probably should be uh, made into a book or books uh, because. I've not really come across uh, many books that are near as good as they are. But uh, that, I guess, seems like a a digression, but it's not because um, 
I mean, it's part of the book as well. What is missing? How we save the West? Why we have such an issue right now? And a big part of that is our failure to think. As Karl Marx said, the vast majority of evil in this world could be traced to the fact that most people walk around completely uh, unconscious. And add to that, uh, so few people uh, think for themselves. They're, they're so quick to just believe what they're told. Or like, uh, you know, what I see with Google, so many people rely on a search engine to give them an answer instead of helping them you know, sort through all of the available information so that you yourself can, can decide for yourself. Right? That's the way I explained. Uh, I was talking about AI again, some of my insights when I first was testing it out, what, a year or two ago. Right? I felt that it could really improve education. Right? So I'm not talking about, hey, AI, give me the answer to this question. That's what some people think Google does. But I mean, hey, and actually, the one the one uh, one colleague actually gave me a great idea. He's like, "Hey, here's three different philosophers. You go into their work for me, because imagine how hard it'd be for for us. Go into their work and find three um, theories or ideas that they share. And honestly, we didn't go into this, but I would go one step further. I would say, yes. So they're shared ideas, right? Like Hannah Arendt and." Uh, Wittgenstein and Nietzsche, right? We can say this idea of the importance of language. Um, but more so, we could say like, okay, let's, let's parse how they share, but how they differ, right? So they all have this idea of the importance of language and how it shapes our consciousness, our being, and our, our reality, our understanding, and everything. But how do they differ, right? And arguably, that's why I mentioned Neil Postman, because if Neil Postman were writing a book today, I'm pretty sure he'd be talking about how we're allowing, yet again, uh, the, the potentials or the pitfalls of artificial intelligence. Uh, we're allowing it to dehumanize us further. Instead of looking at what it can do to make us better than our parts, right? The gestalt, gestalt of being. We're looking at how we can replace our humanity with this technology, right? I hear people arguing about, oh, my God, students are going to use AI to write their papers. And I'm like, yeah, because we don't have any uh, futurists or technologists or even teachers who are teaching these kids how to use this technology. So these students, and I told you about this before, there's a uh, New Testament scholar who claimed openly that his students didn't know how to research, yet he didn't teach them how to research. He just said that he's going to have to change how he teaches. That's a failure. If you know these kids are coming into uh, university with without the required uh, skills to research, well, then say something. But most importantly, you had one job, which was to teach these kids. So teach them how to research, don't just fail them for not knowing how and then making jokes about it on your podcast, right? But I digress, as I usually do. Thank you for your time. And um, yeah, just uh, I'll leave a little comment on this podcast as well if you need anything further. 
let me know. But as I said, you can find me. I'm, I'm on the interwebs uh, as Al Ohm or Almighty Ohm. Uh, you'll find me kicking around here, there. Uh, but uh, thank you.